This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Welcome to the morning break. My special guest today is Nergis Kern, and we'll be speaking about online immersive language learning. Nergis is a teacher with a keen interest in virtual reality for language education. I'm very happy she had time to speak to me today about this and other topics. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to the morning break, everyone. I'm Graham, and today's show features a chat with Nergis Kern. I've known Nergis for some time now, and I've always been interested in her work. On her website, nergiskern.com, she describes herself as an educational technology professional specializing in virtual reality and blended learning. She's also an editor and English for Special Purposes or ESP teacher. All three of these roles, her background and experience of other things such as photography and living in different countries and with other cultures means she has a broad range of insights that help her with her work. Remember, if you're listening in and would like to join me live, then please download the Podbean app, visit ttradio.org and click on Listen Live on the homepage and this should take you directly into the show. I'll be talking to Nergis right after the Teacher Talk Radio News. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. If you have a passion for education and a talent for teaching and learning, the Witherslack Group want to hear from you. 
Join them as they open an incredible new school in Essex and be a founding teacher of English, maths, science or primary with multiple leadership opportunities available too. As Teachers Talk Radio partners, we know how much they care about the well-being of staff and their offer to you will be superb. To find out more and apply for a role, visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. England, charities and unions have warned that poorer families face grim choices and patchy support over summer, as they spend weeks without free school meals amid the worsening cost of living crisis. The government has resisted calls to continue free school meals over the six-week break, which is a source of worry for low-income families as energy bills and food prices continue to rise. Sarah Ogilvie from the Child Poverty Action Group said, The school holidays will be particularly difficult for low-income families this year, with spiralling costs piled on to the worry about lack of free school meals. Unlike in Scotland and Wales, where robust support is in place to replace preschool meals, parents in England have to contend with haphazard and ill-thought-out schemes and are left scrambling to provide for their children. Jeff Barton, from the Association of School and College Leaders, said his union was extremely concerned about the appalling extent of child poverty. In Reading, a campaign is underway to try and tackle pollution and poor air quality outside schools. The University of Reading has supplied the equipment to help schools tackle pollution and improve the health of pupils, staff and parents. The research is being led by Dr Hang Yang from the Geography and Environmental Science Department. He said, The school gates are one of the worst affected areas. The combination of rush hour congestion, proximity to roads and little space to move around makes for a very high level of pollution. By better monitoring the pollution throughout the day, and particularly at busy times, we can help schools to introduce processes which will decrease exposure or potentially even improve air quality in those specific areas. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week it's finally the summer break for almost everyone. This is the time when teachers realise that six weeks is a long time and although it's great to be off and doing things, it can cost a lot of money, especially if you've got kids. So, what can tech do for us to help? This episode is about letting tech come to your rescue to find cheap or free days out near you or further afield if you want to travel. This might be my least complicated two-minute tech to date.
great. All you need is access to the internet and a search engine. If you want to make it more techy, ask Siri, Alexa, or your favorite AI personal assistant. I chose the type search option. Typing cheap days out UK, feel free to replace UK with another destination, into a search engine took me to a list compiled by TripAdvisor of the 10 best cheap things to do in the UK. Ideas here range from visiting Tower Bridge to Chester Cathedral, all with ratings and advice from previous visitors. Adjusting my search a little, Free Days Out UK found me another list from Skyscanner ranging from the Natural History Museum to the Royal Botanic Garden in Edinburgh. Then my favourite search of the day, Free Days Out Near Me. This gave me a list of nearby places. If you allowed access to your location, then there is no need to even type the destination. If you prefer not to give that data away, then simply type the destination you're considering visiting. I was impressed by the selection of places I could go, some of which reminded me there's a lot to do in your locality and you don't always have to make a long journey. So this week, I'm going to be asking, what is a good day out near you on Twitter? Let's see if social media can give us some ideas to enjoy our summer without breaking the bank. Why not get in touch with your top tips at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what is a good, free or cheap day out near you. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the morning break, where today I'm joined by a very special guest, EdTech specialist, Nagis Kern. Nagis, thank you very much for agreeing to join me today. How are you? Hi, Graham. Thanks for having me. I'm very well. Thanks. Yeah. Hope you're well too. Yes, I am. Thank you. I wondered, um, perhaps we could start by expanding on my introduction, um, where I, um, so I know, like me, you spend a lot of your time online, but where physically are you located these days and what are you currently doing? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> currently I'm in Turkey where I actually spent most of my time physically. Um, and But we've just returned from the UK, um, short trip. And normally I spend the whole summer in the UK, which I did in the past decade teaching um, at the university and also escaping the heat here but that didn't work out this year <laughs> it was in fact i think at some points uh, hotter in the uk than than in turkey <laughs> yes the the weather in the uk has been crazy i've been sitting here in mexico oh, where yeah. it's a kind of around it the temperature hovers during the day around about 20 25 degrees in mexico city uh -huh. just sort of incredible uh it's been incredible just the you know reaching 40 degrees etc in the uk what Amazing. i'm guessing it that that is more common in turkey or does it not actually reach that temperature it, oh, oh yeah it does it it does get hot um in the in the summer depending on where you are but i think most places get really hot it can even in further south it can get up to 50 wow. but um <clears throat> around here usually 35 or so and, and um, humid so oh no yeah that, but that's so the worst thing for me the humidity yeah, is, is it, what makes exactly. the heat unbearable isn't it absolutely and that's why usually I take the summers as I said we escape but um, even here I take off so I'm actually on a partial sabbatical All right. um, so yeah I I only work a couple of hours a week officially <laughs> <laughs> that must be very nice. I I should do that myself sometime. You should. I I can only recommend it. <laughs> okay. So, 
On your website, you describe your main interests as developing and teaching EdTech supported ESP courses, that's English for special purposes, learning centered course design, learner motivation and autonomy, developing teachers and learners digital literacies and life skills, and supporting teachers in using technology appropriately and confidently. I'm going to ask you, which of these do you think you do the most of and which you most enjoy being involved with? <laughs> yeah, I, I have lots of interests and I find it very difficult to choose um, just one thing. But I've been, um, yeah, I, I feel blessed that I've had the chance to work on and off on, on these. But currently, I'm actually <clears throat> enjoying being head of research at Immerse a VR or metaverse company for language uh, learning. And <clears throat> I'm also independently involved in, in research and innovation around immersive language learning. So these take up most of my time. Um, so I, I get to look at things from a higher, broader perspective, develop a vision for better, hopefully better online language learning develop concepts for integrating VR and, and pedagogies that work for immersive learning. Um, that's my main occupation at the moment, but I would actually love to develop an ESP course integrating virtual reality because I think they're ideally suited, but I have to be realistic with my time. Of course. Um, yeah, but the, the last two things about you know, helping teachers and learners. This is, I think, something that um, for me is always um, in at the back of my mind, if you want. I, I really love helping teachers and learners to, um, you know, not to be afraid of technology, make the best use of it. Sometimes I can do it directly, but sometimes indirectly via research, for example. Of course, yeah. No, I, I kind of agree. I've become more and more interested in in this idea of helping teachers in particular but also the idea of learners with their digital skills um i've been talking a lot to my brother recently who um is not he doesn't work in education at all but mm -hmm. part of his role um is related to technology at work and he yeah. said mm -hmm. it's incredible just how many people he works with um, his colleagues who actually uh, need a lot of support with digital skills, basic digital skills. Is that the case? Do you do you see that in your work um, that you find a lot of people who actually need that um, support? Um, absolutely. I mean, even going back to the classroom, you know, I've had colleagues um, who have decades of teaching experience and they're also confident with the basic technology in the classroom. Like at university, you have, you know, projectors, um, audio tools and so on. But uh, once my teaching partner had simple technical issue, very simple to solve, but because it was an exam situation, she suddenly lost it completely. She she couldn't, uh, you know, she she got anxious. And it is sometimes these simple things, not even complicated technology, it's in everyday teaching sometimes. And um, I think the main thing is to understand for them, what helps them is that they're not alone, that it's not them, you know, that a lot of teachers, even 
if you're tech savvy and you like technology, if something happens in the classroom, we we get all a bit anxious, don't we? Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's what you say is is really quite interesting, and I think it's important for yourself and myself and others like like us who are kind of as you say tech savvy or confident when it comes to um, computers and other sort of education technology or technology in general to to kind of step back and and understand that uh try and empathize i think with a lot of other teachers that perhaps they aren't as confident um and try to sort of see things from their point of view because i think there are kind of assumptions made um and i'm definitely guilty of doing this and i'm trying not to be um, to make these assumptions that you know teachers nowadays kind of understand how to use the basic technology etc but sometimes I think there are a lot of gaps in teachers technical technical knowledge and you know there may be there's so much that you need to keep on top of top of and so many things that we're kind of just expected to know about now that I think um, it can be quite difficult and a lot of teachers maybe don't want to admit that some of the kind of more basic things for you and you and I, for example, that they perhaps have difficulty with. Is that is that something you've you've come across before? Yes, that that is one part of it, because you're also often told, you know, uh, if you're a good teacher, your lessons uh, are always engaging. And then, yeah, technology, basic technology has been around for a long time. And the other thing is that I noticed when teacher trainers, for example, used some of them even use technology going into a classroom, but because it's not your regular class, it's a pilot, for example, they um, the, the students are motivated, they play along, but it's not the same if you teach day in, day out. And there is so much else that the teacher has to control in a classroom and think about. I think there is research that I, I don't remember the figure, but like a teacher has to take thousands of decisions each day when yeah. uh, teaching. And just to add to that, also from a research point of view, because I've been reading a lot of research into VR and teaching. And um, one problem is that a lot of research is based on short interventions. Mm -hmm. And um, we found there's also other research that shows that teachers and learners only become comfortable with the technology, in this case VR, after like the third lesson or after three weeks, if it's once a week, depending on how the setup was. So it does take time to get used to it so that it goes, you know, uh, the, the te technology itself moves to the background and you're actually benefiting from it. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. So as you've mentioned, I, I think we, it would be a good idea to, to turn to speaking more about immersive, immersive virtual reality, um, especially in language learning. So I'm, I'm really interested in knowing more about this because this is virtual reality isn't something I've spent a lot of time uh, looking at, um, certainly not recently. How did you become interested in this, Negis, and what is it about it that interests you in particular? Okay, so 
first of all, I'm surprised when you say that uh, <laughs> you uh, you know you don't have experience because I know you do, but it it depends on how you def uh, define virtual reality. Some yeah. most people actually, when they hear virtual reality or use the term, they mean immersive virtual reality where you put on a headset um like the meta quest which is popular at the moment um but i actually see um see 2d virtual worlds also as virtual reality it's just like a continuum from less immersive to more immersive if you just look at the technical side of it but um as you might know i i got interested in desktop or or virtual worlds, if you want, or desktop virtual reality in 2008. And the, the reason back then was that I wanted to teach online, but most of the online teaching back then, we didn't have Zoom, we had Skype, but you couldn't share the screen, I think, in Skype at those times, so you could mm -hmm. only chat. And there were very basic video conferencing tools like with IQ was one I, I remember, but most of what you could do was have carefully prepared PowerPoint slides that you talked your students through. And that wasn't really something I wanted to do. I was some after something more natural, um, where, you know, where interactions could be more natural and spontaneous. And uh, I attended one of the uh, TESOL EVO sessions EVO, Electronic Village Online, I think it is, sessions offered uh, by TESOL. And there I've learned about different technologies and amongst others also Second Life. And I spend a lot of time in Second Life learning about it, teaching and, and creating a teacher community. But then I had a longer break doing other things. But in 2020, when we all went uh, online and uh, we had to do remote teaching, my actually my summer, my, the pre-sessional course I teach in the summer, it went actually quite well for it being a emergency Great. remote teaching. Um, they did a good job, the the university, but mm -hmm. still afterwards and looking at um, you know all other teachers' experiences also elsewhere. I knew there would be renewed interest in virtual reality. So what I decided to do is I, I decided to take off work for a couple of weeks or months, whatever, and wanted to look extensively and explore the VR space and to see what language apps uh, were around or language courses may, maybe in VR. So that's how I got interested in it again. That's uh, that's fascinating. I think um, you know to go back to you know I I think definitely what the reason why I said I I didn't know much about VR was because mm -hmm. definitely for me the work that you know I did and, and you did in virtual worlds I don't sort of typically think of that as virtual reality although you know to a certain extent how you've described it. it it, it is or it, it was but it's certainly something also that i kind of made a decision to sort of leave behind mm -hmm. um, in a way and i moved on to other areas of education and technology just because i think it's impossible for you to keep up with everything and to spend Absolutely. so much time and for me the kind of 
returns I was getting from places such as uh, virtual worlds, such as Second Life, uh, were diminishing at the time back when I decided to sort of stop my kind of involvement in it to a large extent. So back in 2013, I think it was, when I kind Mm. of decided not to pursue it. But also it was because, you know, professionally my interests were moving elsewhere. But I do find it fascinating that um, people like yourself and a lot of others um, have continued working in those spaces and exploring and researching. It's always been um, very interesting. I've always kept an eye on the fact that, you know, things like uh, work in Open Sim and Second Life and other virtual worlds has continued to uh, attract the attention of educators. And now it does definitely seem like there's a lot more general interest in it, in places like that, because of, you know, everything that's happening and the idea of, of having an interesting uh, space to, um, to be in and to learn in or to work in. Um, Recently, I think uh, I mentioned my brother uh, earlier, Mm -hmm. a lot of, he's been asking, he started asking during the pandemic, more about virtual worlds. um, And there are a number of different new virtual worlds that are starting to be used a lot in the commercial world in business I think as sort of alternatives to meeting on zoom as you say and it's it's very attractive but I still saw when when I went to explore those with him and started looking at it I still saw the kind of things that put me off about them if you like back in the day Mm -hmm. where you know people would actually replicate meeting rooms or classrooms with a project with a with a screen and they'd go and sit in a chair and watch a presentation on a screen in a virtual world and it just seemed to me that was the kind of the worst way of using virtual worlds i don't know if you agree with me or if you've seen is that now is that a minority maybe it's just in the commercial world that that's happening um no it's happening everywhere i also saw you know big announcements of some um teachers or school or universities uh, about you know now we are teaching in virtual reality and then i saw that they just built a classroom with rows of desks and a whiteboard maybe there is something you know you know recognizable about it but yeah. it's it is something that i've always been against as well and i know now, for example, just like in Second Lifetimes, you have um, funding poured into building virtual campuses, university campuses, replicating them. So you'll have basically the student halls, the classrooms and everything. And it just doesn't make sense to me either, just like for you, because this is not the strength of virtual reality. Why would you do that? Um, yeah, and presentations, obviously, which are much better done on Zoom uh, and much easier than trying to do that and, and, and render that in, into 3D uh, space. Um, for, and the, the problem with that is also that people who are new to virtual reality, when they see these things, just like you, they get put off. Mm. For, 
uh, and you know, and then they might just leave that idea. But fortunately, particularly in um, in the professional world, there is also a lot of good things happening. Um, and you know, soft skills training, for example, where you can learn to empathize with people by uh, playing different people. Um, you can. There are programs that help you uh, practice interview skills. There are uh, workplace, uh, you know, training apps where you can learn the skills you need at the workplace, operating a machine, for example. And it, um, if it's done well, the the training time is reduced, and and people remember a lot more of it, and they can also transfer this learning into um, real life. So there are very good use cases. It's used in medical education also, for example, um, in architecture. Few architects now, I heard, build like in the past, you know, they, they don't draw anymore anyway, but they also don't build their models in uh, out of paper anymore, or plastic or whatever material they used to use. But it's done in 3D. And so you can walk into... Um, these buildings that don't yet exist. That that's very encouraging to hear, Nergis, because mm. that that for me was always the the part about three D worlds, for example, that really um, attracted me. The idea that for me, if you know, the idea of going to a particular country where someone had replicated a real city or whatever or part of a real city like barcelona or venice mm -hmm. etc and being able to experience that in 3d was the best way um outside of actually visiting the physical place that you could actually get a, an idea of what it was like you know i remember yes in second life the sistine chapel and just oh, thinking yes. you know this they replicated the interiors of the sistine chapel and it was just you could spend so much time and you could fly up to the roof and look at the details. You could see how it looked in 3D, the 3D model. And that was far better than any type of flat photographs, uh, photographic representation of it. Uh, you could get a real experience of, um, of how it actually was. And even to a certain extent, better than actually visiting it yourself, because you would never have the opportunity to stay as long so to, as you want to fly to, or to, to fly, fly up to the <laughs> or to see it that close up so actually exactly. it was an, a real example of how something in a virtual world could actually improve to a certain extent on the real um 3d you know actually visiting the place things like that were 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 the fascinating uses of virtual worlds i don't know if you have any other examples um well, sorry, sorry for putting you on the spot there. <laughs> As you know, sometimes there is so much when I I I am just in, immersed immersed in this world so much that sometimes I'm finding yeah. it difficult to find concrete examples. But there are a lot. As I said, um, in um, medical training, for example, they they can uh, they can watch how somebody does. Uh, operates and they can do it at the same time you can zoom in into things you can go uh you know pass back into history mm. that doesn't places that don't exist anymore and and try to replicate those and and you know yeah. students can 
can then think about how life must have been by perhaps experiencing it. And field trips definitely for language learning also. Um, yeah, these are the examples I can think at the moment. Now, for yeah, coming back again, perhaps to language learning, the, the features that are or the the yeah the benefits we talked we gave some examples but it's what why is it that you can you know it's so nice to be able to go to virtual barcelona because not everybody can travel or you you can't take out the time maybe you don't have the finances and um the other thing is even simple role plays you know when you're in a normal classroom you have to or in a zoom classroom you have to imagine a lot it's difficult to do, you know, imagine you're, you're now at the airport and you're checking in and you're walking through uh, security and so on. If, if, there's, if you're not in that environment, so virtual reality immerses you in that environment. So you're, you are in that context, which makes it much easier than to use the language that you should be using. And then also later on to remember, mm -hmm. because you're not just talking also about things, you're doing things together. And I think that's another very important element for me. You can collaborate, you can interact with others in the environment and in, in a more, much more natural way than on Zoom or in the classroom. And you can go to places, you can cook together, um, you know, you can build something together. So these doing things actually, rather than just reading about them or looking at images in, in a course book and talking about those, that's one element. Another element that uh, we always observe is the playfulness of it all. You know, yeah. whether adults or children, when they're in a virtual classroom or virtual environment where the learning is happening, even the teachers, they, they all uh, loosen up, they relax, they enjoy themselves, they speak more, um, and, and they have uh, just, you know, fun uh, with this experience. And the last element is, again, the memorability, because, you know, Zoom classes or, or cl regular classroom, it can be repetitive, it, it looks the same, more or less, each time, each yeah. lesson. But when you have an experience, that's why we remember experiences, don't we? When we traveled somewhere, yeah. when we had a nice party. And, and that's also a, a big element of it, this remembering experiences. That is so true, isn't it? I, I've said this before, um, but I'm, I, I really do believe it. it it's any kind of um, teaching or, or learning. If you can make what you do, be it online or in the face-to-face -face classroom somehow memorable uh, if mm -hmm. you can turn something into a memorable experience rather than sitting in a classroom looking at a textbook or working online um, if it's always the same as you say uh, in a flat zoom class it's always the same experience unless you can there are ways of of making a little bit different i think uh, even on zoom but certainly in a 3d virtual world use your imagination as a teacher i think you can create experiences that are really very very memorable i still have very vivid memories of some of the uh times i spent with other teachers for example in second life um that are so 
um, they're so vivid to me, whereas, you know, a lot of times blur into one in classrooms or actually, as he said, on, on flat learning management systems or uh, Zoom experiences, they just sort of, you know, I don't have anything really to remember them by um, mm. to a large extent. So that is true. Just to go back to one thing you said earlier about mm -hmm. bringing people together in, you know, immersive um, virtual reality, having this ability to bring people together. I think with language learning, that was also the fascinating thing. So if you've went to virtual Rome or virtual uh, Barcelona, et cetera, then what you would find definitely are speakers of that language there. And it was mm -hmm. clearly a good place for um, language learners so Spanish language learners, Catalan language learners to go to Barcelona and actually you would come across people who spoke the language um, or other um, language learners of Spanish or Catalan there and you could have conversations with them that were just mm. sort of interesting experiences which I thought was fascinating but I think um, I think it doesn't surprise me that there's been a kind of resurgence in this idea, this idea of using 3D worlds for education um, during the, or there was during the pandemic, because for me, that's, that's when it really comes into its own. If, if you have, if you're teaching online and students are sitting in their houses, then anything you can do to make the experience more immersive or more sort of uh, interesting is worth doing now what i don't kind of understand and maybe you can argue against me if you if you don't agree with me mm -hmm. is this idea of i've seen for example i saw it at a at a conference someone uh gave a presentation about using um a world such similar to second life it wasn't second life i think where one student, the idea was to do this in a classroom, and he, mm -hmm. he tried to show how it worked. And he had one student, um, which in the conference was an example, some, a volunteer who was wearing a VR headset and walking around uh, an immersive 3D world. And then the other students, again, volunteers, were kind of sitting, watching a screen, watching his avatar move in that world and just sort of telling him to do things or asking him to look at things. Now that for me just seemed like a, a really, it didn't seem to have to afford itself to any kind of reason for doing, there wasn't any reason for doing that. Um, it was like, well, why don't you just take off the VR helmet and talk to the other students? <laughs> I don't know what you feel about that type of VR experience where you, you encourage students to wear VR headsets when they're in the same physical space as each other. I can understand the benefits of, of doing that if they're not in the same physical space together. I, I don't need any, any uh, reasoning, you know, don't, nobody needs to argue the reason for doing that. Although, you know, mm -hmm. There is the kind of, well, the cost, the technology required is, is a lot higher than doing it another way. But do you see any reason for students who are in the same physical space together wearing VR headsets? Um, 
first of all, I agree with you that for me also, my main interest, as I said at the beginning, why I got interested in virtual reality or virtual worlds was that I wanted to teach better online. Mm -hmm. that, that's an easy use case for me to argue. Another one is, if I think if I had students in the classroom and I wanted to use virtual reality, the main reason for me would be if I wanted them to create something yeah. in the virtual reality. So they collaborate and there are tools, for example, for children, I think one is called co-spaces where students, young children, they build a virtual world and then if they want to, or any of their friends or family, they can put on a headset and experience the world that they built. And that's exciting to me. Yeah. That makes sense. So the learning is actually the collaboration and the building and skills and all that. Um, now, I know, um, I think, which project you're talking about uh, that you just described. And I think their reasoning was that because one difficulty is with headsets they are expensive if you want to buy yeah. a whole class set so i think the idea there was perhaps to come up with an idea where you can use just one headset per class um i'm not completely convinced either that it's it's the best use but i haven't looked into it in detail I have to say the other one is actually something that I came up with and yeah. it was tried. One of our immersed research partners have tried that International House Manchester, and that was um, hybrid teaching with VR. So you have, you know, mm -hmm. in hybrid teaching, I have to define here. I'm, I don't, I'm not talking about blended learning, which also sometimes is called yeah. hybrid learning, but what happened during the pandemic, during lockdown is that some students were at home or they couldn't travel to the school uh, and, and the other half are in the classroom with the teacher and the teacher has to teach both groups, both types of students in one lesson, which is extremely challenging. And I read a report about that. And uh, again, International House Manchester was involved uh, in, in that original report. So um, I came up with a concept where you could include virtual reality into that that mix to yeah. um, help with some of the issues and one of the main one of the issues I can't tell you about all of them but it's on my blog one was that to have a space where they all come together actually and it's not always that half of them are on zoom and they're in the classroom which divides them physically and in the way the teacher and and other learners act with each other and they they actually uh, International House Manchester tried it. They had, did a five week pilot and they uh, wrote a report on that, which made me very happy. I don't think anybody would try that out. So here again, it to me it made it made sense. But even then, there were challenges for those in the classroom because you need a bigger classroom because people wearing the headset need to be a bit apart from each other. Otherwise, they can hear themselves in world and also in the physical um, classroom. So it's yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting that that see the idea of employing that type of technology in a hybrid classroom makes perfect sense for me. You know, um, mm -hmm. I think 
what are the the other the alternatives would be to have students on zoom with a um the students who are dialing in from home being on zoom with their mm -hmm. cameras showing a picture static picture of them to the rest of the class and then uh, with a bit of luck seeing the class and that's always a, a very difficult and sometimes uncomfortable experience for for students but if they were you know if in the classroom the what the people in the classroom physical classroom could see on the screen would be um their um classmates actually in a virtual world together that that for me sounds like a more interesting um way of doing it yeah and um i i really don't sort of nobody's shown me I'll have to read your blog um, to read about this study. It does sound like a very interesting experiment, but the one, the example that I saw did very mm. much seem like the tail wagging the dog, um, <laughs> <laughs> really, with the idea of someone, you know, the, the worst thing I think about technology in education is when a teacher tries to kind of use it because they have it. Uh, without mm. it really being the best way of doing something or, you know, the idea of of the technology leading the pe pedagogy. And it takes a lot, I think, when someone's excited, and I have been guilty of this in the past, most certainly, and I'm very aware of it now, is like, before I use any technology, I really think, is this the best way of doing it? Is this really going to achieve the learning outcomes? Or would it be, you know, would that be better? um done in another way do i need the technology if if the technology helps motivate the students more than 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 not using technology then i think that's a, a good reason for using it if it helps them um do it in a more interesting way or if it helps them do it uh you know helps them learn because it's faster or easier then i think it's definitely worthwhile but if that isn't the case then i think it's just better not to use it so yeah i completely agree graham and i know your view on this and i i i agree i it's difficult because some teachers get excited they they yeah. want to use it and i think if your learners know you and there is time and you want you tell them look i want to try out this let's try out this technology that's a different way of doing it yeah. but um i am a i've always been a technology enthusiast even as a child and tools <laughs> but uh in the classroom i actually use very very little technology if i mm. if, you know in a physical classroom projectors for example something i really like using because makes makes often of things course. easier even when you're writing in word and you can share with the class what you're writing and things like that but um when I when it comes to actual teaching, I don't use a lot of different technology because there is no need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. So Nogis, we I think you mentioned yourself um, a little while back, the metaverse. So there's been a lot of buzz around the metaverse and this idea of virtu the virtual reality wearing headsets being a big part of how everyone will be interacting with it, with others online in the future. How do you see this? Do you think it will happen? There's a lot of hype around it. I don't know. I don't know what you think. 
yeah there's uh, definitely a lot of hype it's completely overhyped at the moment um and that happens periodically when you know there is some new technology or some person like zuckerberg that ignites people's imagination and particularly if there is a lot of promise of of lots of uh profit yeah. um for businesses so everyone is jumping on the band at the moment, everyone wants to be talking about the metaverse or be seen as doing something in the metaverse, um, especially brands. Um, but if we forget about the hype, it, it is um, going to happen. It makes total sense that if we it depends on how you define the metaverse, but the easiest definition of the metaverse is that it's, it's the next iteration of the internet. Yeah. So, you know, we had the read-only internet, we all remember, if we are yeah. old enough, in, then we <laughs> had the read and write, where we could start our own blogs and share stuff and social media and so on, and now it will be the 3D internet. And especially for social interactions and learning and training, it makes a lot of sense to have that in 3D, um, but it will, it will not be the case that we will all have to wear VR, VR headsets. Um, in fact, even today, you know, a lot or most VR environments um, that are popular, even popular games that you hear all the time about, you can access them on all kinds of platforms. You can put on a headset, but you can also use your tablet or phone or desktop computer to access them. And this is going to be the case as well. Uh, a lot of experts also say that AR glasses will pay, uh, play a big part, and some say even that AR glasses will uh, replace the smartphones. So we'll all be wearing um, the uh, AR glasses for you know the daily use that we use it now with with the smartphones to access the internet, get some information, overlay some information into the world that we are physically in, and so on. Um, so it will gradually happen. It will take a long time for it to be fully implemented. Again, just like it, it was with the internet, not many people thought that more than a couple, maybe a couple of millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people would use the internet. Many even thought it would go away. Mm. So uh, this has happened before with, with other technologies that people thought Mm, it, it's not going to happen, but everybody is putting their money, all the big tech companies, many, many brands, governments even are working on it now actively, which wasn't the case with the Internet. So it is from all the reading I've been doing uh, on, on this, it is going to happen. But it doesn't mean that we will always be in a 3D world all the time. Yeah, no, I've. I, I'm I'm glad you you said that, and I think this idea of the low common denominator, so allowing, you know, not needing the 3D, um, the the virtual headsets to access, makes a lot of sense uh, yeah. to me. That people who have them and want to use them can, and those people um, who don't can interact on a screen, be it a mobile or a computer screen, etc. And I, I think what you say does make a lot of sense that it is going to come. I, mean, I just think the idea that there's so many more people and it still seems to be increasing 
um, playing computer games, for example. So the idea of entering a virtual, you know, what is every computer game is a virtual world with a character mm. and avatar um, exactly. and objectives. So the idea of having that happen has always seemed to be uh, to be sooner or later it's going to happen that's a way that we can um do a lot of our interactions online particularly when so many more people are going to be familiar with with interacting in spaces such as that and they are through computer games so that, that i don't doubt is going to actually be a large part of what the internet will be become in the future um yeah. so yeah it makes sense to me it, 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 yes, I mean, the, the younger generations are used to gaming. I think the, the statistics uh, that I remember is in the US, 75% of children either it's have uh, or play Roblox or play any kind of virtual game. So they are yeah. used to it. And most of the metaverse platforms, if you want, that exist are by gaming uh, companies. Because again, it makes sense. They, they have been building virtual worlds, but it's yeah. exciting for language learning too, because what we had in Second Life, the examples you gave that you could just, you know, travel to different places with your students or without students or the learners on themselves by themselves uh, and finding people there in social worlds that they can befriend and chat with, um, go together and, and, and do things together, for example, in VR. You can play um, uh, tennis together, mm. or uh, or other games. And many people did that in, with their family during lockdown. You know, the father is yes. in one country, the the son is another country, and together in VR they played uh, table tennis, and uh, or you watch a film together. So I think for language learning, the potential is very exciting. I see also all of the dangers. I have to be careful here. You know, I'm. Um, I do think we should work on creating the, 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 the basis for teaching in the metaverse. And I am very excited that I can be part of this because I want to make it um, work in a positive way and in a meaningful way. Um, we, yeah, there are of course issues like privacy and so on, and hopefully these will be resolved. Uh, people are working on it, people are discussing these issues, people who have been working on the metaverse for decades, you might think hmm. it's something new, but it since the virtual reality has been around since the 50s, and I've, I found a magazine cover from 1995 about the metaverse, um, and there have been conferences and ethical committees and so on, so there are people who are discussing these things, and I am hopeful and um, yeah, I'll, I'll be just, I'll keep working on it and exploring and doing research on it. And hopefully um, we will end up somewhere where it's, it will be beneficial for language learning and teaching online. Yes, no, well, that's very, very encouraging, Nergis. And um, I will look forward to uh, keeping an eye on, on the work that you're doing definitely through your yes, website thank and, you. and blog. Which, uh, which I think is, if anyone wants to check that out, it's nergiskern.com. Exactly, yes. Uh, I don't always get to update it, but I am trying to occasionally write a blog post. And also I'm on LinkedIn a lot where I share 
the the work that our research partners university work with universities all around the world who are doing research on the immerse platform um, because we can't do it all by ourselves and uh yeah we share their results uh, also so that's great so just um sort of moving on because we're we're kind of going to run out of time yes <laughs> which is a shame because there's so many other things that come to mind that i could ask you about but but i'd like to sort of turn to um something completely different so i think you've lived and worked in a number of different countries if if i'm right in thinking that i don't know could you talk briefly about the experience of one or two of these or and what you've learned from living and working there uh yeah very briefly um can't we don't have time to talk about them individually but tying it back to language learning perhaps mm -hmm. um I, i've learned several different languages throughout my life starting as a child yeah. and uh, some of them fully immersed in the country and the culture and everything and some of them as a class subject and it was very interesting for me to think about these later on um, and, and to see how different the experience was. And I think that helped me a lot with my uh, teaching or course design and teacher training and, and, and learner training and everything. Part of that is, of course, also the, the experience of uh, be, being exposed to different cultures, religions and work environments and so on. Um, I think for a teacher, that language teacher or any teacher, maybe uh, it's it's um, invaluable. It's an invaluable experience. And maybe some very brief, funny example about intercultural communication. Uh, Immerse that I work with as head of uh, research at the moment. They're based in the United States in California. So. Uh, the, the the founders, most of them are Americans, my colleagues, and uh, sometimes I tease them because they can't help themselves. They have to use either military or sports jargon when talking about business. <laughs> I don't know whether you've noticed that. So uh, now they started noticing it themselves <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes apologizing to me. But these are the things that you learn, you know, when you are immersed in different cultures and, and, and learning different languages in, in different countries or working with people from different countries. Of course, yes. And it takes someone who um, from from outside that culture, for example, or background to be able to point that out, because it's probably so part of um, how they speak to each other that they don't notice it themselves yeah, exactly. until someone points it out like yourself. Yeah. yeah yeah that's true mm -hmm. so i also see nogi's just one final sort of thing we can talk about i think before wrapping it up i see that your personal interests include plant and landscape photography learning about and foraging for wild plants responsibly <laughs> hiking and environmentalism which is uh fascinating i'd love to learn more about in particular the plant foraging what where do you usually go to do this and what kind of plants uh, are you looking for when you do it? <laughs> yeah <clears throat> again like in my work i can't choose i have so many interests but uh, mm. there's not enough time but i try to combine them actually and uh, through photography i came to plant um, 
to you know photo photographing plants and then wanting to know more about them and then once i found out more about them um foraging for them because you know you learn about whether they're edible or have medicinal uses i don't go into medicinal uses too much mm -hmm. um except you know the herbal tea that i might make but foraging usually around where i live wherever yeah. that is it's i usually move around a lot but um it's it's you know what most people consider weeds yeah i i i collect so the good thing is they're around there there's plenty of them around and nobody wants them so it's not a problem to uh, to collect them because of course when foraging you can also damage the environment so uh, you have to be careful but i don't go into those kinds of things it's things like you know dandelion um daisies um what else plantain um and and lamb's quarters or goose food is another one and sometimes also some berries and i you know i might go for my daily walk and just collect a handful and to add to my salad uh for lunch so i have some fresh greens always and um in the winter we also have where we live in winter we have actually on the hill a very in, some interesting berries yeah um and one is called strawberry fruit tree it sounds nice and it looks nice and it must be the the tree that inspired uh christmas tree decoration because it's these round red and orange um oh, fruit yes. yeah. hanging you might have that in spain actually mm. in in perhaps in the south of Spain as well. It's a Mediterranean thing, so. Right. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. It, it kind of takes me back because as a child, um, I spent countless weekends um, and holidays with my parents. My mm -hmm. father used to make dandelion wine. Oh, and so uh -huh. he used to take us out to collect dandelions. We used to go out for on Saturdays or Sundays specifically to forage dandelions and used to have us collecting them till we were completely <laughs> you, sick of it. I think you need a lot, don't you? For yeah, that. yeah. Is it for medic medicinal purposes, like when you have a cold no, it, or something? it was definitely for not for medicinal purposes. <laughs> he used to, uh, to make make uh, wine. And in fact, you know, he used to make so much wine that uh, that it used to store it everywhere and every every cupboard you'd open there in the garage there was no room for the car because there'd be all <laughs> this wine etc that he made dandelion wine and i have to say it didn't taste very nice oh it's good i think as a child it's good if you didn't like it <laughs> well yeah but this is as an adult when i started oh, tasting okay. it, it was still Hmm. It wasn't a very uh, palatable taste, unfortunately. But and then the other thing we used to do was when we weren't looking for dandelions, uh, all of our time was spent looking for blackberries. Oh, and uh, collecting blackberries is a is a very strong memory of my childhood. And at the time, I used to kind of complain about it. You know, can we go? Mm. Can we go? But actually looking back at it now, I'm really happy. It was some nice times we spent together doing that as a family. Yeah. And it was uh, really good. But then, of course, we collected so many blackberries that every single day for the next, I don't know, month or whatever, it would be <laughs> blackberry pie, blackberry tart, <laughs> blackberries and ice cream, blackberry jam. You couldn't get moved for blackberries. So now actually 
I don't think I can taste another blackberry. I've, I've had oh, enough, enough of it. <laughs> yeah, but nice memories at least. Yeah. Definitely. So Nagiz, I think our time has come to an end. I want to thank you so much for this. Uh, I've been fascinated talking to you and it's really nice to talk, to catch up and, and hear what you're doing, which I think is very, very interesting. Absolutely. So thank you very thank much you. for your time. Thank you so much, Graham. I, I really enjoyed myself. <laughs> thank you Good. for allowing me to talk about things that I enjoy doing. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very happy. And I'll definitely have you on again sometime in the future if you're interested to hear about developments in this uh, space. Sure, would love to. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So that brings us to the end of today's morning break. Many thanks to my special guest, Nergis Kern, and many thanks to all of you who join me in the studio. Remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week, and the next show will be, I think, with Lucy at 7.30 p.m. British summertime today. Join me again next week at the same time. Bye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.